Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 95 with Benjamin Benet. We talk about playwriting. We talk about his upcoming play that's opening at Annex Theater, Terra Incognita, which runs July 29th through August 20th. You can get more information at annextheater.org. This episode is sponsored by Queer Pride on Whidbey Island. This year's Pride Weekend is August 12th through the 14th, which is, the 14th is the last day I'm going to be here before I move to Boulder, so you definitely have to come and check it out. Uh, More information at queerparade.com. A reminder that my farewell concert is on this Saturday, this coming Saturday, July 23rd, it's at 7.30 at Whidbey Children's Theater. I'll have a link in the episode description. So I'm just, like Benjamin and like other really cool Seattle people, like Courtney Meeker, for instance, uh, getting ready to pack up my life and bid adieu to this awesome community. Please enjoy episode 95 with Benjamin Benet. So I'm sitting here in the Annex Green Room with a very talented playwright, Benjamin Benet is here. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I feel like Oprah. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) And you get a Tony, and you get a Tony, and you get a Tony. So right now, Annex is hard at work on your play, Terra Incognita. How did this play come about? Oh my God. The writing (laughs) of it? Or the production of it? It's been a journey. Everything? Everything. It's been a journey with this one. It's, I feel like it was the first play that I really dove back into the world of what it is to write a play that felt satisfying. Okay. So that happened three years ago. And I think the reason why I felt like that time was ripe for me was my father had just passed away. Mm. And uh, I stayed bottled up about it for a couple of months. Right. And then I needed an outlet to just let it pour out when I was ready. And so I took a playwriting class at Freehold with the fabulous Rebecca Trino Collinsworth. I love her I, so much. I, I know. Okay. I, I feel like whenever I mention her name, everybody's always like, I love Everyone Rebecca. Everyone has that reaction. Yeah. I mean, she's a fabulous woman. And yeah. um, when I entered her class, I had set sort of this ultimatum for myself. And I was like, if this goes well, Maybe I'll write another play. And if not, maybe I'm going to close this sort of fantasy of being a playwright and just say I'm done with that um, and put it on a shelf. Wow. Um, I know. I don't know why I did that. It just felt like a high-risk time for me. Sure. And I wanted wanted to figure some stuff out. And writing became the right outlet, it felt like, yeah. at that time. And uh, the way that she structured the class at Freehold was that we would write a scene every week. We started with two characters, um, two places, a couple of monologues. And if we stuck with those characters and the same story throughout the course of her class, we'd have a play done by the end of it. And when she told us that at the beginning of the course, I was like, well, that's what I'm going to aim to do. That's the goal. I want to have a new play. Um, and I did. 
Uh, and those two monologues uh, that I wrote, those two characters became Nadia and Sheila for Terran Cognita, the two central characters, and everything else kind of grew out of that from, uh, from a writing perspective in terms of process. And I actually wrote the play almost in reverse. Um, those two monologues land at sort of the uh, crisis moment right before the climax of the play. And then I wrote the climactic scenes, and then there was the epilogue, and then I had to go back to the beginning and rewrite how these women met each how other. How do we get here? How do we get to this point, <laughs> this heated point of conflict? Um, so yeah, so that's where the writing of the play came from. And of course, Rebecca being the like astounding mentor that she is, um, really just, I would say, almost coaxed sort of the scariest things that I wanted to say, uh, grappling with mortality and death and how do we talk to the people that we've lost? Can they still see us? Um, it was terrifying. How do you find closure with the things that you never said to somebody and now you're never going to get to say them in the flesh? Yeah. Um, yeah, those were all the things that were just kind of swirling around when I found myself ready to write this play. And, uh, and yeah, in the course of 12 months, I wrote three plays that all kind of dealt with mortality. So Terra Incognita was the first one. Um, at the very bottom of a body of water, which is being developed with Umbrella Project currently, was the second one. And then, or actually, yeah, I guess that was the second one. And then there was a third one called What Washed Ashore Stray, which was the first piece that got done with Forward Flux Productions. Um, and that's how I met Wesley Fouge, who's another one of my favorite collaborators in town. Too. Also an incredible person. Yeah. Did. Was there something, was it just the process itself was so rewarding to you? Or was there a moment where Rebecca took you aside and said, you have to keep doing this? Or was it a mixture of the two? That moment definitely happened. I mean, it definitely felt good doing it. Um, And I was getting really lovely feedback from the other people in the class. And actually, some of those people who were in that first class with me, Sue McNally and Caitlin Cooey, Kara Romanik, um, became some of the founding members of Parley along with Rebecca Torino. So it was just an incredible group of people. We just vibed and knew that we wanted to collaborate and keep working with each other and that we felt an affinity with each other's voices and wanted to make our work and each other's work a priority. Um, so that was encouraging. And then I definitely remember my final exit interview with Rebecca after that first um, class at Freehold she kind of sat me down and was sort of like, if you want to do this, she's like, A, not only should you do it, but she's like, you need to do it fearlessly. And I think the word that she used was audacity. She's like, be audacious, go for it. Um, And I think those were the words I needed to hear. It's, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, For folks who might not know what Parley is, what's the elevator speech about this wonderful group? Uh, I'm the worst at giving elevator speeches. I can <laughs> ramble on forever. Okay, just t- tell your the, grandma. In a nutshell. Grandma. Grandma. <laughs> grandma, what it is, is it's a playwrights group. And we meet on a weekly basis. And we share each other's work, whatever pages we have. We respond to each other's work using Liz Lerman's um, response process. Oh, I love that process. Yeah, so good. Process. Yeah. The it's best critical, I've encountered. I don't know. It somehow protects the ego a little bit more than other processes. It does feel protected, but at the same time, you can open it up if you are ready for more and right. want to push, um, which is what I really appreciate about it. So 
Um, so yeah, we meet on a weekly basis in Parley, and then every month a different playwright's work, I think it's every month now, because there are two groups. I'm losing track. There's a lot happening with Parley right now, <laughs> and technically I'm an alum now. Aww. I know. Yeah, that was hard to have to say goodbye. But, um, but yes, uh, every month it seems like a playwright's work gets mounted as a workshop with actors in time and space so that the playwright can actually see how the play plays. <laughs> yeah. What does it actually do when you hear it coming out of the mouths of actors and they're trying to do the actions that you've written on the page? Um, and it's the best fucking way to learn, let me say. What was that experience like the first time that you heard actors performing your work? Oh, God. Well, to steal words out of Rebecca's mouth, because she can put things so eloquently, it felt like my wedding day. <laughs> yeah, it felt like getting married. It had just been so long at that point since they'd heard, like, my words coming out of actors' mouths. Um, the first piece that I had done with Parley was at the very bottom of a body of water, actually. Um, that was the workshop uh, that I got with them initially. And... Um, Previously, I guess the the time before that that I had heard one of my plays done was at New York Theater Intensives at an ensemble studio theater in New York. Um, yeah, I had some playwright or a couple of actors do a play that I had written, um, and that was in 2011. And I think the workshop with Parley was in 2014. So it had been like a span of about three years sure. before it since I had heard my words actually being read. Um, so yeah, it was a very powerful and terrifying moment, too. Like, I, I remember actually cringing through the whole reading, um, just because it was so scary to hear the words being read in front of an audience. I think right. that's the scariest part. I feel like when I hear my work in front of an audience, suddenly I hear every flaw, everything that makes me go like, oh my god, that was so on the nose, or that was too much information, holy shit, we said that earlier, I don't need to repeat that information. Um, it's incredible. I love that, having that moment of just, oh, I know exactly what to do to fix this now. Right. Yeah. Um, it's horrifying in the moment, because it made me go like, oh my god, the play is a disaster, and I um, I know how to fix it, but I wish I could have fixed it earlier. But that's just process, right? And I think the reason why that feeling was so intense was because it was the first time in such a long time. Um, and now... I think I do get frightened when I hear my words aloud, but it's not to that level of intensity. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't even, playwriting is, I wrote a one-act play with a friend, uh, and it's something I want to go back to and something I'm looking forward to in grad school to be able to do that, but it's, for me, it's like giving myself the permission. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm an actor, I shouldn't. I shouldn't really do that. I should stick to the acting or stick to the directing. But that thing of being audacious, oh, you're giving me a head tilt. I gave, you a, crap. <laughs> I gave you a head tilt because <laughs> I think it was my first playwriting teacher who said that actors make the best writers. And I think it's because you understand the mechanism, the organism, I should say, really, the organism from the inside. Um, and so you know what the character would say and what they do. And... I mean, some of the best playwrights have been actors, and that's something that I, of course, you know, dabbled with in my 
early years. In and, your youth. In my youth. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, something that Parley actually let me dabble with some more. I got thrown back into the acting arena a little bit. Um, I don't love it. I love process. Like, put me in a room rehearsing with the playwright and the director, and I'll do whatever you tell me. I hate performing. Like, the thought of having to do it night after night after night and having to keep it fresh is, like, one of the most awful things I can think of. Oh, see, I think it's one of the most wonderful things I can think of. So, uh, that's... Oh, I love that. I love this give and take that we have going on. Yeah. Tell, speaking of actors, tell me about the actors who are cast in Terra Incognita. Oh, my God. Uh, tell me about your cast! Oh, they are fabulous. They are fabulous people. So... There's Gretchen Dauma is playing the role of Sheila. Oh, she's she's amazing. Oh, tell me about it. And an incredible soul and mm. full of insight. Um, she's lovely. I got to work with her on Still Life, which was uh, the world yeah. premiere of a play by Barbara Blumenthal Ehrlich. Yeah, with... I remember. That was my introduction to Forward Flux. And yes! I was like, how? This so good so good I saw both plays so in one good. night and, yeah oh yeah. love that yep she tore it up in that and so I'm so thrilled to be able to work with her again um let's see in the role of Nadia is Lillian Awful Stratton I hope I said her name correctly um but she's fabulous she's actually uh, an actress who I worked with on an earlier incarnation of Terran Cognita um, this was back when it had a reading with Dry Bones Artist Collective. They gave me a workshop. And uh, and yeah, Lillian did the role then. And when Pilar was like, hey, do you have somebody to read this for us as we're kind of warming up and getting into production mode? I was like, sure, we can call in Lillian. And I'm thrilled that she was slotted in the role for the production. She's such a good fit. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty thrilled. Um, and the other actors in the piece are um, Eva Estrada Campos. Uh, she's playing the angel, who's like this shape-shifting creature who takes on <laughs> various forms throughout the piece and kind of acts as this guide, but also sort of a herald of death at moments. She really embodies this duality of life and death and whose time is when. Um, okay. Yeah. She's fabulous as well. And then there's uh, Jordan Michael Whidbey is playing two roles. Um, the role of X, um, Nadia's ex-lover, and the role of Simon, who is a job placement specialist who Nadia is also working with. So he uh, inhabits two very different characters that have uh, the same likeness. Um, mm. Yeah. So you talked, uh, you touched a little bit about Pilar directing it. Pilar O'Connor, O'Connell, sorry, Pilar, uh, in her directorial <laughs> debut. How did you two find each other in this process of of being in the season? Oh my magic? God. Oh my gosh! It feels like magic. It feels like fate and all those blessed things that just happen in the world of theater. Um, the first time Pilar and I worked together and met really was. Again, one of the wonderful gifts of Parley. Um, she was in this uh, play that I wrote for the Seattle Fringe Festival in 2014. Yeah, I think it would have been 2014. Um, and she played this role, Zoe, in the play Carencia. Um, and we fell in love with each other, like, right away. Um, it was just that incredible, just fusion of 
two artists coming together and understanding the language on the page together. Yeah. It just, you know, was one of those immediate affinity things. It was just like, she gets my voice, she knows what to do, it clicks. And so then when I found out that she was interested in this piece and wanted to direct it, I mean, I couldn't have been more thrilled. And uh, yeah, I pitched the piece to Annex, um, solo, actually. At that time, it did not have a director attached to it. Um, and it was just one of those moments where, like, you know, I was listening to music right before I went in for the pitch. It was the right song that came on shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, I danced it out in the lobby. <laughs> I went in for the pitch. Uh, and it was just one of those moments where you, like, know that you went in and had a really good interview. And yeah. now it's just, like, in the hands of the other person. But, you mm-hmm. know, you did everything you possibly could have. Yeah, no regret. No, no regrets. You left it yeah. all in there. Yeah. It was all in there. So it was a great feeling, and then next thing I knew, it was like, we want your piece, and Pilar is interested in directing it, and I was just like over the moon about it. It was perfect. Congratulations! Thank you! Can you tell us a a little bit more about the world of the play? The world of the play, yeah. Um, It begins with these counseling sessions between the two main characters, uh, Nadia and Sheila, Um, there's a mystical prologue that sort of takes you into the world of the play where the angel introduces us to the two characters. So we know that there's something magical at play here, something maybe like fate, Um, but that hint kind of dissolves almost instantly. And then we're left in these very mundane sort of counseling sessions um, where Nadia is this recovering alcoholic seeking counsel from Sheila. Um, And we're led through a series of their sessions and how these women begin to kind of crack these facades that they sort of have and Mm. become more human around one another, establish a really personal connection, and then the world starts to unravel and go back into this very surreal territory um, where there are ghosts and these like crows that are attacking and it gets a little wild and crazy and uh, and yeah, I kind of love the play for that reason. I love that it goes from this very mundane sort of world where it really is about these teeny tiny just hints of what's to come. These like minute connection moments, like somebody touching someone on the shoulder and that meaning so much later. Um, so I love that it kind of starts in that territory and then becomes this overblown thing where we have like machetes and jungle ruins and blood trickling from the sky and all kinds of crazy shit that I probably should just keep my mouth zipped so that that's, it's more of a surprise. No, that's amazing. I think, I think we'll stop right there, but Great. that sounds <laughs> flipping awesome. Uh, again, opening July 29th, running through August 20th. Folks who want to visit AnnexTheater.org to get tickets to see this badass show. You're not sticking around the Seattle area much longer, like myself. Uh, Where are you going and why? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, So I am going to Minneapolis, Minnesota. (laughs) My first sort of foray into uh, the middle part of the country. I've only ever lived on the West Coast. Hey, I grew up... I grew up... (laughs) I grew up in Wisconsin. I went to college in Iowa. And a lot of my friends for undergraduate are in Minneapolis. So I'll have Ooh. to give you some names and stuff. Uh, but yes, please. You're going to be... A, it's the opposite of the Seattle freeze. It's like these 
warm, full-bosomed people, oh. like, welcoming you and uplifting you is my, like, overall forecast of the Midwest. But please continue. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And I'm so excited that I'm going to get to meet those sort of people because I know absolutely no one there other than a few individuals who I've met through the program that I'm going for, which is the Many Voices Fellowship at the Playwright Center. So I um, won this national award as an emerging playwright of color. Congratulations. Thank That's you. fucking incredible. <laughs> so going back in time, like what, yeah. how did you decide to even apply for this? How did I decide to apply for it? So uh, one of my favorite things to do is read my favorite playwrights' bios and look at all the programs that they've done. Smart. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's kind of how I find out about submission opportunities, kind of in the earlier stage when I really didn't know a whole lot about submissions or how to get my work in the world or any of that. Um, the only real program I knew about was the O'Neill, the National Playwrights Conference, because that was one that my first playwriting teacher was sort of like, you should be applying to this, like, ritual, like, ritualistically every year. Um, but growing out of that, it was sort of like, oh, there's a Bay Area Playwrights Festival, oh, Great Plains Conference, and I found out about a lot of these by just reading bios. So I found out about the Playwright Center, checked out their website, was like, okay, what kind of program fits me? And they have this fellowship that's specifically designed for playwrights of color um, that are early stage career. Um, I think you can only have had like one or two productions or none. Sure. Um, technically, I had none at time of application, application. <laughs> but uh, then the um, annex thing came through. So, uh, so then I was able to say I had one forthcoming at sort of the later stages of application. Um, I found out I was a finalist, I think back in January, and it was the second time that I've been a finalist for the fellowship. Um, I didn't get it the last time. Uh, I didn't, let's see, I think this was the third time I've applied actually. First time I was a finalist, didn't get it. Second time, I didn't even get to the finals. Third time was this last year, I made it to the final round and was just sort of like, okay, well, I mean, this has happened before. And it's, it's happened before. I know the pool is probably still like eight or ten people um, to have gotten to that round. And uh, and they pick one, one national playwright that gets it. And one person who's already in Minneapolis. So I was like, you know, the chances of them picking my one application, it's not, not something I'm going to hold my breath about. Um, and then one day I just got a phone call. Um, and it was Jeremy Cohen, the artistic director at the Playwright Center, and he's like, do you have a moment to talk? And I was like, uh, yeah, let me step away from my desk. I'm at work at the moment, but yeah, anything for you, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> so I stepped away, and he's like, um, congratulations, you won. Uh, he's like, uh, yeah, it was so weird to hear those words, you won. I just won. got chills, um, like, so bad. <laughs> it was surreal. It was a, a crazy moment, because I had heard nothing else in that like two or three month span from when I heard I was a finalist to this phone call. So this is like March or April. Yeah, I think it was like April. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, and he was like, so the panel met yesterday and congratulations, it was unanimous. They picked your application for our national fellowship. I just so. got chills again. <laughs> <laughs> it was, ah! yeah, it was a wild, wow. wild moment. And he was like, so let's, start talking because you're gonna have to move out here and do this for one year and uh yeah it was it was crazy uh yeah sorry i'm a little wrapped up in that moment don't, just don't, kind of replaying don't apologize that's yeah. um 
so you you were recently out in Minneapolis to sort of meet folks in the program, just kick back with Paula Vogel, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. What was what was that? <laughs> So was that sort of just to introduce everyone to each other, or what was the purpose of that? So I was in the process of trying to nail down my digs, because sure. I had to find a living situation um, that would work for me during the fellowship term. And uh, and so I told Jeremy, he was actually out here in Seattle um, shortly after I got the news, and so I got to have lunch with him, and he was like, so you should think about coming, you know, if you can, a little early. Um, He's like, I know you have your uh, production coming up. And he's like, it's so important to us that you be there for opening um, and leading up to. Um, originally, I was supposed to start the fellowship on the 1st, but he was gracious enough to be like, you know, start uh, start in August. He's like, it's important that you be there for the opening and the production and leading up to if that's what you want to do. And I was like, I would love to do that. Um, and it was definitely a relief to me and Pilar because, you know, initially yeah. it was sort of like, I'm leaving July 1st and... You know, am I going to get to come back for opening? Probably yes, but I won't be there in person for the rehearsal process. So it was nice that he could amend that so right. I could be there. Um, but yeah, he was like, if you can come out for a week just to meet people ahead of time, since you won't have that first month with us to kind of get settled, he's like, um, it would be a good idea. And if you can fit it in your schedule, I know you love Paula Vogel and she'll be in residence. Um, on these dates, so if you can work your trip around this, and I was like, done. Uh. Done! Let me go book my flight. <laughs> yeah, so I was there for a week, I got to meet with, uh, I had been kind of sending out inquiries about places to live, so I got to go check out a place, meet a few people, um, meet some of the other fellows, and the outgoing fellows um, at the Playwright Center, as well as the artistic staff, and, you know, do a bake-off with Paula Vogel, which was kind of awesome. <laughs> Who won? Who won the Bake Off? Who won the Bake Off? So there's no winner. Um, we all write as many pages as we can addressing the ingredients that she gives us. So, right, so we did the seminar with her. She goes through Aristotle's elements with us, gives us her take on all the elements. We do a bunch of exercises with her. We place some things on the table for the group to sort of mull over. And at the end of this like six hour period, she goes, okay, so I think for this group, based on what we've talked about and what's come up, we're going to use Lita and the Swan as our point of departure for this bake-off. She's like, um, I'm going to send you this PDF of the Swan by Elizabeth Egloff. And she's like, here are the ingredients that you all have to use in your plays. Um, the, the images she gave us were a feather, a window pane, and the sky. And then we all had to incorporate two genders, two races, and two species. And that's what we were left off. And then we had to go write and then bring back whatever, however many pages we could come up with by noon the next day. Um, she was like, I recommend having about 10 pages. Um, she's like, she gave us a record number, and it was something ridiculous. It was a whole play. Um, and I think I had 40. Um, and, and then we just read. We spent the next day reading all of our pieces around the table. I think there were like 14 of us that participated in the bake-off with her. And, uh, and it was just amazing to see where everybody's like brains went with those same ingredients. Like, nobody's plays were the same, but we all had the same ingredients, we all had the same point of departure. There were swans in a lot of the plays, but some people went really literal, some people went really abstract. Um, 
it was so exciting just to hear all these different takes on the same point of departure. Um, yeah, it was incredible. What are your days going to be like there? Is it, <laughs> sorry, I just, now I'm yeah, so fascinated about this totally. world that you've pulled me into. Yeah. Is it a lot of guests, uh, like guest artists? Are there core faculty? Mm-hmm. What's your day-to-day going to be like? Day-to-day is going to, there are going to be a ton of workshops um, there's a lot of seminars that the Playwright Center offers, so I'm allowed to take whatever I want as a fellow. Um, there's going to be labs and readings of new plays because there's a core group of writers that the Playwright Center um, has affiliated with them. I think it's something like 40 writers, something like that, and they're all affiliated with the Playwright Center. They rotate in and out, so it's I think it's like a three-year residency or something for the core. Um, and at various times, they're in Minneapolis workshopping their plays at the Playwright Center, and then there's a whole festival called Play Labs that's a really intensive version of that, where they fly in um, artistic leadership from around the country, all these different companies get represented, and they all just watch new plays in development, um, and I'll get a little you know, blurb from one of my plays featured as part of that lab. Um, and it's going to be mostly a lot of writing. I have to check in with my mentor, Christina Ham, every couple of weeks. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to be checking in with her a lot more frequently than that. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to the um, outgoing fellow, uh, Many Voices fellow, James Tyler, and he was like, yeah, I was sending her pages at midnight, and then she'd get back to me at 2 a.m. And he was just like, it was just a constant, like, daily thing. And yeah, and he was like, he was the one. Because I was thinking, what's too ambitious? Like... I have all these plays I want to, you know, continue to fine tune and work on. And then I have a bunch of others that I like have not gotten to start writing yet that I would love to like write a first draft of. And um, I was like, James, what did you do? Like, how much did you actually get accomplished? And he's like, be ambitious. He's like, I rewrote three plays and I wrote three new ones. So he's like, um, I was like, all right, then I'm going to go for it. Because I was actually like, there are three plays I want to workshop and like maybe three or four that I, new ones that I want to write. So I'm going to go for it and just use my time to get as much writing in as possible. Like, I really want to treat it like a day job. Like, be like, all right, from eight to five, you're either doing research, writing pages, um, reading, doing something that's going to feel related to my process of writing the plays. And, um, you know, if I get bored with one and decide I can't focus on that anymore, then I'll just switch. Next project. Here we go. Let's try and whip some of this out. Um, but yeah, it'll be great. I'm really excited to have this time to really, really like research. You know, I feel like for me personally, one of the things I feel like a lot of shame around as a playwright is I feel like sometimes they don't research maybe as, as in depth as I could. Um, so I'm really excited to have this time to really like dig into research um, and really make sure that I'm an expert going into the writing, you know? I'm just so happy for you. <laughs> I'm so excited that you get to just dig deep into all of this. What, up until this point, what has your writing process been? Do you sit down at the same time every day no matter what is it when inspiration strikes you what do you do god it's been a range of things i think it's been different for every play and it's been different from month to month only because 
earlier on, I was working at Pacific Northwest Ballet, was my day job, so it was school hours. So some days I had a morning shift, some days I had a night shift, sometimes I was working weekends. So there were days when if I wanted to stay up till 3 a.m. writing, I could do that with my schedule. Um, so it was just whenever I felt like it, whenever I had time and felt like it. And also something I feel a little bit of guilt around. I mean, I could write in the office too sometimes. Um, my current job <laughs> at, well, tomorrow's my last day there, but at the tech company, um, it's an eight to five, no real downtime. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's meant I have to do my writing in the evening if it's going to get done. And you know, between all the workshops that I've been blessed to have been offered to me as well. Um, and of course, being a part of Parley, I had pages. I had the incentive to get that stuff done because I knew there were going to be people reading them. I knew we had actors who were slated to be working on it. Um, and that makes me go like, okay, if I have two hours free this evening, yeah, I'm working on my rewrite. Like, that's just where the time gets slotted. Um, so it really did become an incredible priority for me over the last few years, but it's also been, you know, not sleeping, missing meals in order to make sure that I'm taking care of my day job stuff in addition to literary management for Forward Flux, in addition to, um, working on other Parley Playwrights workshops, in addition to making time for my own writing and, you know, my own workshops and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just an ongoing, I don't watch television, <laughs> so that helps. <laughs> I haven't seen a movie in like two years. Um, so yeah, all my all my time really does go to, to writing. And I really hope that I keep that up in Minneapolis now that I have, this is my, I don't want to say my full-time job necessarily, but like now that it's my real priority, um, really truly, um, I want to make sure that I'm giving it my full attention like I would any day job. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of developing new plays? Because mm. I think a lot of folks have a misconception that plays happen in a vacuum oh and God. then poof, they appear on a stage and that's, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's amazing the kind of love and attention and dedication required to get a new play done. And it's tragic to me that I, the reality for most plays is that they never see an audience. I mean, let, let's not even talk about a production. Like, most plays sit on people's laptops and maybe get shared with a couple friends, if that my experience has been that most people just have fragments of ideas that they just have swirling around that never even materialize as a play or maybe just get to one or two drafts. And if you're one of those fortunate people who is hungry and given opportunities by fabulous community, um, your play might see a workshop. Um, fewer than that, see a production. And the time span between these things, I mean, I don't know what most people's writing processes in terms of what it takes to get out a first draft. Um, my average over the last three years has been three to four months for a first draft. Um, one of these more recent plays that I wrote took me eight months, um, which felt long and arduous for me. Um, and 
my most recent play, Trumped, I wrote in like three or four weeks, which was my first time doing it in that condensed of a time period. Um, so, I mean, but I've heard first drafts can take people a year, two years. I mean, I don't know. It can be a range. So, I mean, to have it take a year, let's say, just to write the damn thing. Sure. Just to get one incarnation. And then to find it a workshop. I mean, you can be in development with a play, doing workshop after workshop, rewrite after rewrite. For I mean, I've spent two years, three years on some of these pieces. Um, Terran Cognita, I think I wrote the first draft like three years ago, two or three years ago. Um, and it's just been fortunate enough to find a production at Annex. God, what a dream come true. Um, hmm. As quickly as it has. I mean, I would say that that's quick. Um, and then there are plays like um, Kristen Palmer's Things You Can Do, which just opened with Live Girls at ACT. And I was looking at the development history of that play. I think it was something like nine years. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know how long it took her to write it, but... I mean, to have written it and then go through nine years of development before it sees a production and that it was fortunate enough to even, you know, get a production at some point because there are amazing, like, fucking brilliant plays that I have read that have never seen a production. And I'm like, this is a gorgeous piece of art. And it's just, you know, a manuscript sitting on a laptop, sitting on multiple laptops, sitting on people's desks that are literary managers, um, some of them even published, but have never seen an audience as a full production. It's really tragic. I mean, I really feel the need to advocate for other people's work and to advocate for theater companies doing new work because it's just painful to me to know that like a play like Beautiful Province by Clarence Koo, one of my favorite plays, won the Yale Drama Series, which is no small feat. I mean, he was probably up against 14, 1,500 other plays, and his was the one winner. And it still hasn't seen a production, to my understanding. I mean, that might have changed in the last couple of years, but I think when we were looking at the play for Forward Flux, we did a salon reading of it. I believe it had still been unproduced. And it's probably, I mean, absolutely one of my top ten favorite plays ever. Maybe even top five. Um, and yeah, to think that it hasn't found a home mm. and has not seen an audience with a full run. Yeah, it feels like needles. I mean, it's just being pricked inside of me. It's painful for me. I can't even imagine as the playwright to be like, here I have this play that's won this incredible prize and is a gorgeous work of art. And why, why won't a theater company do it? What can... What can audience members do to support new plays? Where can they find them? And just what what do they do to support them? Totally. Well, they should go see them. <laughs> and show up! Show Rule number up. one! I mean, it sounds so basic, but really, go. Like, just go see the play and don't wait till it's closing. Like, go the first, go the second week. Um, and then tell other people that you went. That you went. Encourage them to go see it. Yeah. Talk about it. There's always something to talk about when you see a play, right? Um, yeah, I think part of it is just making seeing the new plays a priority. We've all seen Romeo and Juliet. Goddamn, how many productions of Romeo and Juliet were there in the last year in Seattle? I mean, yeah. we've seen it. Right. We've seen it. So how about going to go see a new play instead? 
And maybe something that you have no connection to at all, that you don't know anyone in, <laughs> that you don't know the director, you don't know the playwright, just uh, The Umbrella Project has a fantastic new play forecast. If you're in the Seattle area, we'll link to their website in the episode description. Uh, but other than that, how do people find new plays other than resources like that? Well, I'm so glad you brought up the Umbrella Project because I think it's one of the most brilliant things happening right now. And I'm so thankful that Seattle has that resource because, yeah, they have a forecast, um, this monthly newsletter that they send out that will give you all the new plays that are happening in Seattle. Um so that's an incredible resource. So I'm so thankful to Nora and to Gavin yes. and Aaron, Sarah, all the others who are involved with that. The work that they're doing isn't being done anywhere else. Not like that. Um, so thank you for bringing them up. They're the resource, I would say. They are the one. That's where you should go to to see new plays um, or to find out about new plays. Annex Theater. I mean, most of the stuff that gets done here is a world premiere. Um, I think almost their full seasons are. I think once in a while they'll do like an adaptation or like a ramp up of a of a play that's already printed or whatever. Sure. But most of it is world premieres. So if you want to see new work, Annex is a great place to check that out. Um, I'm trying to think where else they've seen really cool new plays. I mean, Forward Flux Productions. Uh, yeah, check us out. I do literary management for them, and we're all about new plays that are speaking to the right now, like what is happening in this day and age. Um, we want to find plays that feature characters that modern audiences can go to and hopefully say, oh yeah, I know that person. Oh, I am that person. Um, hey, that's, that's the world I live in right now. Um, so yeah, check out Forward Flex. We're doing some some pretty frickin' cool plays, if I do <laughs> say so. Um, coming up, we have a new play by uh, Sarah Saltwick called Tender Rough Rough Tender, which is probably one of the coolest titled plays I've encountered. Um, fabulous play that, I mean, if I am so brave to say so, I mean, she might not describe her play this way, but it's about global warming and the world on fire when the world is in drought and the temperature is rising and people are sweating and a glass of water is starting to cost five dollars the birds are dying right out of the trees like it feels apocalyptic and yet you're following these two grounded characters that are living in this world that is i mean reminds me a lot of what it was like growing up in southern california when they were like droughts water shortage all of this stuff wildfires running amok um so it feels like a familiar world but uh, but also it's it's so theatrical and wild and I'm so glad that we get to do this play. So check that play out. That's a play yeah. worth seeing. Yeah. Uh, what? Who else are you reading right now? Who Who I'm excites right you? So um, I interviewed for Yale's MFA program this last circuit. I was one of ten finalists along with. Uh, fellow Seattle playwright. Well, she's moving out of Seattle as well, but uh, the fabulous Courtney Meeker. She and I were both in New Haven um, back in, I guess that was April? Yeah, interviewing. And so I met some really cool playwrights while I was there, both the current Yale students and also a bunch of others that I was interviewing with. And um, I got some really cool plays from them. Yeah. 
So, uh, so I've been reading a lot of them. Check out Lindsay Joel. She's one of my favorites right now. Um, she wrote a play called Treef that I think is really stunning. Uh, there's a play called uh, A Small History of a Mall by a Mall, age seven, um, that is really incredible. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of her right now. I'm kind of loving on her. Uh, I love Sarah Saltwick, so that's another mm. reason why I'm so glad we're doing Tender Rough Rough Tender. Uh, she also has a play called A Perfect Robot, which is one of my favorite plays that I've read in the last two years. Um, that, along with uh, the play Still Life by Barbara Blumenthal Ehrlich, who I also adore, um, those are two plays that just reading them made me feel emotional in a way that I don't even get emotional sitting in a theater watching a play. So I love A Perfect Robot for that reason. Still Life delivered that same sense of gut punch when I read it. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with Jen Silverman right now. Um, I read her play called The Moors uh, that is... God, I, I, I would almost say it's my favorite play that I've read in the last six months. Um, it's pretty fabulous. It's so good. Uh, and she, I was recently put in contact with her and she sent me her new play, which is going to have its world premiere at Woolly Mammoth uh, mm. later this year. And it's called Collective Rage, a play in five boops. And the play goes longer and there's pussy in the title at some point. Um, that play is kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, there just needs to be a podcast where literary managers talk to each other, don't you think? Yeah. And then everyone can't be like, we can't find new plays. Be like, no, listen to this podcast. Oh there's my god, list. yes. And there are lists. Jesus, there's the Kilroys. The Kilroys, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Oh my gosh, I owe you a Coke. Because that is like such an incredible resource. Yes. And the plays that I've read that have come off that list um, are freaking awesome so good um and i will admit like when i first get the list a lot of them i'm like i haven't heard of this play like i literally think this last year was the first time um that i have looked at it and been like i've heard of that play i've heard of that play i've heard of that play but i definitely use it as a resource and as a literary manager hit up those playwrights and i'm like hey can i read your play like would love to um another playwright who's on the 2015 kilroy list multiple times hansel young check out her stuff um she's written some incredible plays cardboard piano no more sad things mm. um she's incredible so yeah kilroy list incredible because i will say that some of the most exciting plays that i've read in the last couple of years absolutely by female playwrights i mean i think all the names i mentioned to you just now Lindsay, barbara sarah jen Right. I mean, what's the thread there? Female playwrights. Yep. I get excited. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> so we're sadly wrapping up our time together. Could you take us out with one, with a line or two from Terra Incognita? Absolutely. What, what floats to top of mind? Yeah. Uh, Sheila has a line toward the end of the play about how her whole life she's been looking for places to belong and that she's finally come to the realization that it's not about the places but the people the people are what matter not the place um definitely something i was thinking about in 2013 as a 25 year old um 
when you're thinking about, is it me? Is it the place? What is it that makes the place magical? Um, and so I love that realization that Sheila has at the end of that play. Um, and it's really beautiful because it also mirrors the sentiment that Nadia, the individual that she's counseling, has toward the beginning of the play, where she's like, I just wish I could find a place where people were like, we want you, we want you here right now. And she says, I've never found a place like that. So to have that sort of bookended by okay, uh, a scary Sheila's right line. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say those were the two lines that even now, um, it was funny writing it, having to revisit it after having written it three years ago, wanting to maintain the integrity of the play as it existed then, but update it with some of my skill set and my incredible dramaturg Gavin and Pilar's wonderful insights and that of the actors that really made it fresh for me again. Um, but I will say that one thing that immediately resonated again reading it three years later were those lines. I still think that those are kind of at the heart of what um, what I was getting at there. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful note to end this interview on. Thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me. Oh my gosh, well thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure.